In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you're up on Facebook today, you got a little taste of what we were going after. How many people were not up on Facebook today? Take, take that out. Look at that. I don't even know why I bother. <laughs> All right, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, not on things on the earth. One of the things we, when we come over into the things of God, we still keep our, our after he was talking about all the substitutions people have, raised with Christ, seek those things which are above the hand of God. That's where we got to seek in the earth, but th- seek those things that are above. He says, set your to the Williams translation. The Williams translation puts it, practice occupying your mind. That we do, that we want to do well, we have to come second nature to us. It becomes something that we can do when the uh, gymnastics or doing the ski jumps. That looks, I can't even imagine the ski jumps. Going, that no one in the right ski off and throw yourself higher in the air. And then come down on a mountain that is going away from you. And to land in such a way that you don't wipe out, that you stay straight up. Now, how much practice does that take? These guys do this over and over and over again. One of the scenes they showed on this was the guy who wiped out. Coming down the slopes. Didn't even make the jump. Come down the slopes. Came off of the edge. And wow, it was one of the more powerful wipeouts that we ever saw. They, you know, with Howard Cosell's voice, the agony of defeat. Because of the practice these guys do, most of the time what we see is that they go down, up, and then land and do, do everything uh, flawlessly. It takes practice. It's not something that comes natural. It's not something that comes easy. It's hard. They have to set their mind on something different. You see, as long as uh, we don't do this, we set our minds on practical things like keeping our feet on the earth. We like that. Keep my feet grounded here on the earth. I don't I'd like the idea of getting on skis that sends me propelling into the air without a parachute, without wings, or without a plane. But that's what these guys do. And they land just fine. Most of the time. If I were to get up there and I were to do that, I wouldn't land just fine. I would land in some other kind of uh, weird configuration. It would probably be very painful. But they practice that. So this is what he's saying here. As uh, Williams puts it, practice occupying your mind. Practice occupying your mind. How many times during the day does your mind get moved over to earthly things? To natural things? The things that your old man was, was uh, accustomed to. Not things where Christ is. How many times does our mind get set on anxieties, fears, worries, concerns? All these things come in and they, they begin to, our sights get set on these things. And he says, don't do it. Practice setting your sights. That's where you're going. You set your sights. This is where I'm going. If you're coming down that ski slope, you're setting your sights on where you're going. You're not looking back at where you were. If you do that, you're in trouble. You turn your head and look backwards, it's not going to go well. If you're coming down that ski slope, your eyes have got to be where you're going. They've got to be ahead of you. That's what he says. Set your sights on things that are above. And it takes practice to do that. Because the enemy is constantly trying to get our attention to go in other directions. To go in other ways like that. I don't even know what the movie was. Some kid's movie. You know, the, um, the dog is always uh, distracted by the squirrel. He's talking about stuff. He's doing stuff. All of a sudden, he says, squirrel. And if you ever hear people do that reference, squirrel, that's what they're talking about. Talking about that movie where the dog is just engrossed in something. All of a sudden, squirrel. 
And he's over here looking at the squirrel and forgot what it is that he was, he was doing. We're that easily distracted. And the enemy wants to get, get us to do that. We're focused, we're focused, we're focused. All of a sudden, here comes a squirrel up in our peripheral vision. And we go over and we, we think on that. No, no, you've got to practice keeping your eyes on the things that are above. That is a huge principle. If we could get this principle down, it would change our life. Not just to do it on occasion. Not just, you know, a couple of times a day, set your sights. No, he's talking about this is where your sights are set. On a regular basis, our sights are set on things above. That's where we're going. That's what we're doing. When we uh, were first learning to drive a car, how, uh, how many times did the person teaching us how to drive a car tell us, focus, focus, look ahead, watch where you're going? How many times did they have to tell us that? Because, you know, we, we think we got this. <laughs> we got this. This is no problem. I can look around. I can look at you. I can look at this side. No, focus. Focus. Look ahead. You've got to be looking ahead. And then, uh, you know, you start getting a little more comfortable with looking ahead. And you, you look in your mirrors. And you, you're, you're looking. now you, you can have conversations. But you're always looking ahead. See, before you started driving, you had conversations looking at people. But now that you're the driver, no, I've got to focus on where I'm going. And I can talk this way, but I keep my focus where I'm going because it works better that way. You ever watch the movies and the person driving the car is having a conversation with the person next to them? Movies, TV shows, you know, they have this thing, thing going on. And you, you see the person who's driving and they turn to talk to the person that's next to them. Have you ever noticed that sometimes they do that for a little longer than you would, that you're comfortable with? Have you ever felt that way that you're watching them and said, wait, look ahead. Look ahead. All right, fine. You turn for a second, but now we're looking at five or six seconds. You're looking at the person next to you, and you're not looking ahead. No, no, no. Look, uh, look ahead. Turn your head. Look. Don't, don't you feel that going off? Because you have practiced driving a car while looking ahead. It's a practice. It's so much ingrained in you that when you watch somebody in the TV who's not really driving the car, they got the screens going all around. Looks like they're driving the car, but they're not driving the car. They're not going anywhere. They're staying right there. Everything else is around them is moving. They put the green screens in the back and they do all this sort of stuff. And they have stuff moving around them. So you look through the windows and it looks like they're going somewhere, but they're not going anywhere. They're sitting right there, right by the cameras, making it easy for them to film the thing. So when they look to the side, it's not a big deal. But we're not, we're not programmed that way. We're seeing them. We're thinking that they're driving the car. No, look ahead. Look ahead. Keep your eyes focused on what's ahead. Where are our eyes focused as we're walking through the Christian life? We focus on our job. We focus on bills. We focus on some family troubles. We focus on some other things that are more concerned about this world than they are the others. Now, those things are, are important. It's a good thing to pay your bills, especially in the wintertime. You want that electricity to be working, running all the fans and keeping all the things going. Keep that heat going on in the house. That's a good thing. We like to have that. So you, you want to be able to focus on some of that, but you can do just like you're, you're driving. <clears throat> you focus ahead. In the meantime, I can still have a conversation with somebody over here. But it doesn't take my focus off what's ahead. So you practice that. And the more that you become practiced at that at driving, the, the easier it is for you to have conversations with people. You know, I've, I always get irritated by these, um, these people that want to have these laws that you uh, can't operate a cell phone while you're driving. I get irritated at that because 
to me. Now, I don't, I don't operate my cell phone when I'm driving. I'm not saying I get irritated because I want to operate my cell phone when I'm driving. I don't. My cell phone is tied into Bluetooth in my car. My cell phone, as soon as I get in, logs in, and um, I'm, I can talk on my phone, and it just be like I'm having a conversation with the person next to me. I don't have to touch it. I don't have to do anything like that at all. But I, I just don't understand this. It's okay to smoke a cigarette in a car, but it's not okay to hold a cell phone. Now, to me, the difference is the cigarette is lit. You are carrying a fire stick in your hand. You are playing with fire while you are driving. Now, what happens if that fire stick loses some ashes? Hot piece falls down on your leg. What's going to happen to your driving? Where's the focus of your attention going to go? We are no longer focused on the road. We are focused on what's happening with the burning sensation in my leg. Have you seen those um, Facebook posts that put the lady in the car and she's all driving on car on, on down the road and all of a sudden the lady driving the car gets out of the car but the car still goes. car still goes. No driver in the car now. She's out of the car. The car is still driving. Her car is still driving down the road. Crosses over the median strip. Goes over into the other side of the road. Anybody ever seen that, that clip? You have, not, you have not missed too much because you're sitting there. Why are you doing that? Apparently there was a spider in the car. And it would seem more advantageous for the person to get out of the car and keep the car rolling than it was to um, stop the car. That person got their focus off of what they were supposed to be doing. And the enemy wants to get your focus off what you're supposed to be doing. Keep your focus. Keep your sights set. If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So we've got to seek those things. We've got to put our eyes on those things that are ahead. And I've got to keep my mind on those things that are heavenly principles, that are of Christ. That's what I've got to keep my mind on. My mind wants to go off on other things. But I've got to practice keeping my mind on certain things, on, the, on what you've got to do. What is it that we have to focus on? Because other things want to come in. They want to get you to come on in. Susan likes to write. When she's writing, I'm sure other things like to come into your mind and get you to go off. But if other things come into her mind, is she writing? No, you, you can't be distracted. You've got to take all those things and block them out. You can't have those things coming in, into your mind. You've got to focus on what it is that you're doing. So you have to practice keeping your mind set on the thing that you want to do. And that's what he's talking about here. Seek those things which are above. In other words, set your sights on the things above and set your mind on things, abo- <clears throat> on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. It doesn't mean that you can't have a little bit of peripheral vision for the things that are on the earth, like your bills, like your job. But your mind's not set there. Your mind is set on the things of God. And if we do that, if we practice that, everything else that we do will go better. Just like in driving. If I set my sights on the things that are ahead, everything else will go better. That's important for us to know to do. My, my focus when I'm driving has to be keeping the car on the road, keeping an eye on the cars that are around me, keeping myself going in the direction I need to go. Not becoming distracted. I can talk to the people next to me. can have conversations there. But this is where I need to, to focus. 
Williams, or I'm sorry, Weiss puts the whole thing this way. The things above be constantly seeking where Christ is on the right hand of God, seated. The things above be constantly setting your minds upon, not the things of, of the earth. Be constantly setting your minds on these things. These are the principles we need to have. If I set my focus, if I set my eyes on those things that are ahead, if I set my mind on those things that are above, then I'm going to be changing my life. Huge important principles. Now, I put this in your outline for you. is our reaction that changes, not our interaction. When we become born again, our, it is our reaction that changes, not our interaction. I still have interaction with the world. When I got born again, I still interact with the same worldly people. I still interact with the same grocery store. The same bank tellers. Everything in the world is still the same. But I have changed. My reaction should therefore change, but my interaction is not necessarily going to change. You don't have to change who you interact with. You have to change how you react to them. And that's what he's talking about here. It's our reaction that changes, not our interaction. We interact with the world. We don't react worldly. One time we did react worldly. We need to change that. Unless we put our, our viewpoint changes. We have a viewpoint of eternal life now, not of natural life. Your viewpoint must change. It surely has. But what we focus on is the things of eternal life. Not the things of natural life. What are the things that are going to matter down the road? What are the things that are going to matter to God? What are the things that are going to matter for the next kingdom? This is what our focus is on. Set your mind on things above. Set your sights on things that are above. Keep those things. Keep my sights. Keep my mind. Keep my thinking on those things that are above. Just like we're, we're driving. I set my eyes on the, on the road ahead of me. I keep my mind thinking, what's this person over here going to do? Might this person pull out? I've got to be ready to respond to them. I've got to be thinking about the drive. Just like we do that when we're driving, we've got to do that in our Christian walk. Verse 3, <clears throat> For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him. The word hidden here means to conceal by covering, hide, or keep secret. For he says, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The life that we have to come is hidden. Why is it hidden? Because the world can't do anything to it. The, the enemy cannot do anything to the life that you have coming. There is no one but God that can do anything to the life that you have coming. Because it's hidden. He's got it hidden. And it's not going to be brought out. It's, that life is not going to be brought. No one can see it. No one can touch it. No one can do anything to it until Christ comes. And then it's too late for anybody to do anything about it. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So Christ is in heaven. Guess where your life is? It's in heaven. Can any enemy get there? Can anybody in this world get there? So no one can mess with your life coming. That's what you need to focus on. That's the life that we need to be thinking about. I've got a life coming that no one in this world can touch. No one can change it. No one can alter it. It's intact. It will stay intact until Christ comes. 
Now, the world persecutes what it cannot... I put three things in here. The world persecutes what it cannot see. The world persecutes what it cannot hear. And the world persecutes what it cannot understand. If you tell people, I'm going to heaven, and they can't see it, what's the world say? Yeah, yeah, right, you're going to heaven. If we say, God, that this world was created by God, and they can't see God, what do they say? (laughs) Yeah, right. So they persecute what they can't see. They can't see it. They persecute it. Can they hear the things of God? Jesus used to always say this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does the world have spiritual ears? No, so they can't hear the things that God's saying. They can hear the words. The Pharisees heard the words of Jesus, but they couldn't hear what he was saying. The world can hear the words of, the, of life. They can hear the words of the Bible. They can hear the words that the Holy Spirit says through preachers all over the world, but they can't hear it. They, they can't comprehend it. It doesn't come in. They hear it completely different from how you hear it. So understand the world can't see what you see. They can't hear what you hear. And if you explain it to them, all right, well, you didn't hear what the Spirit of God was saying. Let me tell you what the Spirit of God was saying here. And you explain to them what the Spirit of God was saying. What do they do? They scoff at it because they can't understand it. The world can't see, they can't hear, and they can't understand what the, the things of God. Can't do it. So when you go to share these things, understand they can't hear it. They can't understand it and they can't see it. So what did Jesus do when he was faced with this dilemma? He taught around them. And he used to tell them, he says, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. He's not calling people pigs. What he's saying is, don't take what is valuable and give it to one who doesn't see the value. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those folks who were on their team, they heard some principles. But the really good ones he only shared with his disciples. He would share parables in public, but they wouldn't understand them. But in private, he would explain the parables to his disciples. The world's not going to understand these things. Just, just understand. If you get the newspapers or one of the uh, local TV places comes up to your door and says, we want to interview you before, after you get done being flattered, if they really care about your opinion. Understand this, they don't. All they're trying to do is expose you as some nutty Christian. They don't care that you, that, that you, um, that, that you explain your, your side. I heard this from people who are you know, certainly more involved in, in this, and they actually had people come up to them, and they were worthwhile uh, nas- getting national media attention and so forth, and they would say, the first time we heard about those kind of things, you know, we thought they were really interested in the truth, and I thought if I sat down and explained to them the principles that they would understand. Well, they weren't interested in the truth. All they were interested in doing was taking whatever was said, twisting it whichever way they could twist it, and then throwing out something that, uh, that they wanted to throw out. So just understand the world is not interested in the truth of the gospel. When you share with the world what it is that's going on, they do not care about the truth. They care about tearing you down. There are going to be smiles. They're going to be, oh, you know, we just come to here and hear what you have to say. And, and, and you know, just tell us why it is that you think that. And, and can you explain that? And then afterwards, they're going to rip you to shreds. 
And you'll even say, I didn't say any of those things that they're saying that I, that's not what I was explaining to them. And I thought, they, I thought when they left, we had an understanding. No, they're of the world, folks. They, they can't see what you see. They can't hear what you hear. And they can't understand what you understand. They can't. It's, they're not able to understand it. They're not reborn. Their life is still in the world. Your life is in God. It's different. You have to understand this because they won't. You have to understand it. Don't take spiritual principles and give it to people who are just going to scoff at it. You don't need to. There's nothing that says that because someone in the world asks you a question, you need to answer it. Nothing in the world at all about it. If you determine these folks are not after the, not after the things of God, don't give them the truth. Tell them whatever God tells you to tell them, but don't feel compelled to give them the truth. They won't understand it. They're going to understand it in their realm by the world, and then they're going to spit it out to other people on a public basis and say, you know, Phyllis said this. And what's going to happen then? You really said that? I can't believe that you think that. Oh, I didn't think that. And the only people who are going to get that straight are the people who talk to Phyllis directly. Most of the world's not going to talk to Phyllis. Most of the world's going to say, oh, I can't believe that Phyllis is so awful. How does she believe this sort of thing? Oh, that is, that is just downright terrible. How can, they, how can anybody do these kind of things? Oh, man. And, uh, and this is what they do. No, don't, don't be doing it. Don't be throwing it out there. The world cannot see what faith sees. They cannot hear what the Spirit of God speaks or understand spiritual principles. So, of course, on the basis of that, why would we listen to anything that the world has to say? Whether it's through the newspapers, whether it's through magazines, whether it's through TV news, whether it's through blogs on Facebook or things of people that are worldly. I'm not talking about spirit. spiritual people use these medias too. But there are worldly people who use these medias. Who do not understand the things you understand. Do not hear the things that you hear. And do not see the things that you see. And yet, now I'm not talking about people here. But there are Christians all over this country. Who allow the media to determine who they vote for. Who allow the media to determine what they think on a particular issue. Who allow the media to decide for them whether abortion is good or bad. Christians. I'm not talking about worldly people. I'm talking about Christians. And this is what they, they do. They'll, they'll let the, the media, they'll let the newspapers, they'll let blogs, they'll let people's opinions on what, what uh, they think about our Constitution frame what they think about it. Well, we shouldn't do it. These folks cannot see what you see. They cannot hear what you hear easily. Nor can they understand what you consider to be simple. They can't understand it. So don't listen to them. Block them out. But the enemy is using this very effectively to keep a lot of Christians in a worldly mindset. And this is why we have Christians all over this country who believe worldly principles hang on to worldly things and haven't let them go. They haven't grabbed hold of what God's opinion is. It's amazing to me the amount of Christians that can have an opinion that abortion is a woman's right to choose. 
That amazes me that anyone can think that. I like when people, you know, they put it up on Facebook. I see them because, you know, I think Facebook determines this guy is one of those nuts. Let's only let him see these things. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it is because I don't see all this crazy stuff that uh, other people are talking about. But, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll put things up there, you know, uh, uh, like um, the, the woman's right to choose was before she got pregnant. Oh, that's scandalous. Oh, that's evil. Oh, that's harsh. Oh, that's terrible. Really? What happened to the baby's right? And now we all know these kind of things, and, and we know but we have the heart of God on that. And you try and share the heart of God on a matter just as simple as abortion. And where will the world take that? Well, you hate women. And they'll take it to the point. To the point. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing to me to, to where this was. And, you know, our current president, way back when he was in the state, in the. Um, uh, state representative passed a bill was authored one of the few bills that he authored authored a bill that made it illegal for a doctor to save a baby who was aborted but was born alive made it illegal you had to leave that baby sit on the other side of the room until it died this is where they can go and they think you're nuts it's okay that a, a, a woman who's giving birth but hasn't given birth yet, it's okay for us to take stuff, push it inside the woman and tear that baby apart piece by piece. That's okay. That's not crazy. I, I don't understand these, these things. But that's the world mentality coming in. We can't adopt the world mentality. We've got to hang on to what God says. What does God say about children? What does God say about unborn children? We go to the Word of God and find that out. The world's not going to hear it. It's not going to hear it. It's, 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 you can't convince the world, we shouldn't do this because it's not morally right. They're not going to hear that. We've got to be careful on what we share on these particular... They're not going to hear those things. But don't adopt them. Don't take those things on. Don't feel like you always got to defend yourself. Make them defend them. You know... Instead of us defending that, make them defend it. How do you feel that it's right that the day before a baby's being born or the day of a baby's being born, it's okay to kill it? You know, if that same person was involved in an auto accident and it was determined that the person driving the other car was at fault, there's a, uh, that baby's counted as one of the lives that was killed. But not if you killed it during an abortion. That doesn't even make sense. But this is what they'll do. So what you've got to do is not defend your thing with the, with the principles of the Word. They won't understand it. They cannot understand the Bible. The Bible is just words. To you, it's life. To them, it's words. You can't change them. But the Word of God has spoken life to us. We've got to let that, those words come in. We've got to let those things have life on the inside of us. Sometimes, and with some Christians, we develop a, a hatred for people who view of things like abortion and other things in a, differently than we do. We've got to be careful about that. These, they, they can't understand. They only can understand things for the world. There are Christians who go by the name of Christians who do not understand spiritual principles any more than the world does. That amazes me. Because they haven't practiced setting their sights on things that are above. They haven't practiced setting their minds on the things that are above. They haven't practiced that. They're still going around here calling themselves a Christian, but their minds and their sights are still focused on other things. 
change your life if you get these things going on. Verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So for a while they lived in the world. Some of these folks, they got born again. They were involved in fornication. That's sex outside of marriage. They were involved in uncleanness, which is sex that's not, not good. I mean, most of the time it's using for homosexuality and, and things of that nature. Passion. There are a lot of people that are passionate about the wrong things. And we've got to make sure that our passions are focused on the things of the Word, the things that are above. But before, we were passionate about things in the world. And that's not the way that we ought to go. We'll still see Christians today get passionate about worldly causes instead of godly ones. He says, put these things to death. You're no longer here to be passionate about worldly causes. Set your sights on the things that are above. That's where your life is. That's what you need to set your sights on. Not the things that are down here on this earth, the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. Because of that, put these things, they should be gone from you. You should be putting these things to death. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. I don't know about you, but the amount of evil desire that is in the world just sometimes can really just, it just bothers me. Sometimes I just sit talking to God and say, God, there's so much evil in this world. I'm ready to come up. Beam me up. Just so much evil. You look at politicians and the evil that is in there. It's not just, you know, we're trying to do some, some good. Maybe they have, on, on, have a different view of what is good. Than, I mean, it's just pure evil of what they're trying to do. It's all self-fulfilling. They're using their positions to fulfill themselves, to get themselves rich. Evil desire and covetousness. You know, don't, don't be coveting other things. I've heard Brother Keith Morty was talking about this. He says, you know, sometimes we get out of the world and we're no longer coveting other people's cars and houses. We get into the church and now we're coveting other people's ministries. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing that, but that's, that's kind of what he was getting into. We're coveting other people's ministries. We're coveting other people's things that they have spiritually. I want that gift. I want to be able to do this. And we just changed the way we covet. And now it looks like it's spiritual. No, it's still coveting. Does it belong to somebody else? Yeah, he's, he'd uh, would tell the story. I never heard Brother Hagin tell the story. I imagine he probably did it sometime, but Brother Keith knew it. And he said, Brother, uh, Brother Hagin used to drive a Bronco. Loved that Bronco. He used to drive it all kinds of places and just loved driving uh, the Bronco for whatever reason he liked it. And one particular Ramus student got in his uh, mind that um, actually he said that God told him, don't you love it when people say, God told me? I mean, where do you go with that? God, God told him that um, Brother Hagen was supposed to give him the Bronco. And so he sat in that for a little while. And uh, apparently Brother Hagen wasn't responding to the Spirit of God quick enough. So eventually he got enough um, boldness, I would call it stupidity, that he approached Brother Hagen. I can't imagine. If I approached Brother Hagen... Even one time, I could not imagine these would be the words coming out of my mouth. Couldn't imagine it. But this is what he said. He says, uh, Brother Hagen, God told me that you're supposed to give me that Bronco. He says, now we're coming up on Christmas break. If you want to drive it through uh, Christmas, 
and so forth. I'm happy to receive that after the Christmas season. Brother Hagen would tell that story to Brother, I don't know where it well, well, was. He says, that was five years ago. I'm still driving the Bronco. <laughs> <laughs> See, he got the coveting something that somebody else had. You know, people will say, you know, they're in the church and they see a, a handsome young thing or a prince, pretty young thing across the room. Then that person is married. But God told them, they're supposed to be my wife. They're supposed to be my husband. And they begin to covet. But, you know, this is spiritual now because God told them. So we can change our covetousness from the things of the world to the things that seem to be spiritual, but I'm still not mindful of the right things because what are you supposed to set your sights on? Things where Christ is seated. What am I supposed to set my mind on? Things that are above. What am I setting my mind on? Things that I want here. We shouldn't be doing that. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons. Well, we missed one. Covetousness, which is idolatry. That's just putting something else there to worship. Don't be doing it. Not even if it's somebody's gift. Not if it's something that you really like that you could really envision yourself helping the body of Christ with. Nope. Don't be doing it. Because of these things, the wrath of God. That's a strong word. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Boy, do not be among the sons of disobedience. Stay among the good ones. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, he starts, starts this off here, put to death. It's up to you. I've got to put them to death. They are going to try and live on the inside of you. Don't let them. Just because you got born again doesn't mean all these worldly desires and all this worldly input is going to die. You have got to put it to death. I cringe. Oh, I tell you what. When I hear the world's wisdom come out of Christian people. Nothing makes me cringe more than that. That is just... Oh, it's because it's, you are supposed to be spiritual. And here you are spouting the wisdom of the world as if it's the wisdom of God. That's not God. Oh, it makes me cringe every time I hear that. And I hear it. I hear it in people. I hear them spouting off things that the media says. I hear them spouting off things that the world says. I hear them spouting off things, you know, from college. The college professor said and taught and they, they spout these things and it's like come on can't you get weed out the world set your minds on things that are above set your sights on things that are above stop setting your sights on these things that's what we do that's what we do he goes on he doesn't get he doesn't stop here but before we go on with that go over to Romans chapter 6 what shall we say then Verse 1, shall we continue in sin that we may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? We die to these things. We die to the wisdom of the world. Why are we walking in it? Why does it continue to habit a place in our mind, a place in our belief? Why, can't we get, why don't we get rid of it all? The Spirit of God should give us witness. That is not of me. Because either a, a belief is of God or it's not. Yes or no. That's it. The peace of God ought to tell you about that. But we got Christians that are still taking parts of the world and protecting it and keeping it part of the, on the inside of them. Need to get rid of it. If it's of the world, drop it. I don't care how much has been a part of your life. 
drop it. If it is of the world, if it's of God, then hang on to it. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we also, we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. See, it's up to you. Colossians put it to death here. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. To kind of run through that, there's a whole lot of teaching that you get now, just showing you where the uh, he's concurring this over here in Romans, what he's teaching over here in Colossians. Verse 8 in Colossians 3. But now you yourselves are to put off these. Now he's talking to them again. All right, these were sins that you were once involved with. Now, talking to you guys right now, right where you're at. This is what I want you to get rid of. In your life right now, this is what I want you to drop. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger. You ever heard people say, well, I'm just an angry person. Anger is just part of my life. I just, you know... No, he's, what's he say about it? Put it off. Wrath. What's he say about it? Put it off. Malice. Malice is saying things against other people. To people who are not involved, basically. Malice. Don't be doing it. For the, when you say these things, you're, you're doing it to try and tear them down. Even though you may say, well, I want you to pray for this person because they're involved in sin. Blasphemy. I heard the best definition of of blasphemy I ever heard was ascribing to God what the enemy did. I like that definition. Ascribing to God what the enemy did. Saying that God, you know, when when you have, I mean, I've seen preachers get up. Well, God took this one. What is that? God didn't take them. Folks, it's it's a form of blasphemy. Because you are blaming God for something that the enemy did. I think that's the best definition of blasphemy. You know, using the taking the Lord's name in vain. I don't quite see how that's such a big deal. I don't do it. I don't recommend anybody do it. I've never been in the practice of it. It's not something I have to stop. But (laughs) I don't see that that's as big of a problem as this is. Blaming God for things the devil did. Uh Uh-uh. Blasphemy. Filthy language. When we were unsaved, people had filthy language. They had things that they, they said. Now, when I was raised, filthy language is not part of our vocabulary. I've told you before, there are words I consider filthy language that are commonplace in the church today. I still cannot say them. I still will not say them. I won't even tell you what they are. 
I won't even give you hints of it as to what it starts with. Or do those things where people say they just take out a couple of the vowels so that, you know, and say it's something. No, I don't do that either. Because I don't want you thinking about the real word while I use the fake one. That's not good either. Filthy language. Get it out of your mouth. It is hurting you. It is harming you. And not just cuss words. We're talking about anything that puts other people down. We're talking about any kind of words that are hateful words. Get them out of your vocab. Get them out. Don't need them. So he's, t- he's telling them. He's telling these believers. Get these things. Put them off. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy language. Get it out of your mouth. Quit it. Now, just about all those anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, they all have to do with your mouth. It's not just filthy language. They all have something to do with your mouth. You're saying stuff. He says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. No need for lying. It doesn't mean that you always have to speak the truth to everybody. Because not everybody is deserving of the truth. You know, the great line, You can't handle the truth. Well, beside that, you may not deserve the truth. Well, you need to tell me the truth. Well, it's not truth that you need to be privy to. That's truth about somebody else. Something that they did. Why should you have to know about that? Just because somebody wants to know the truth, just because they know the right questions to ask, doesn't mean they get the, the right to hear the truth. Don't fall for that guilt stuff. And have put on the new man, verse 10, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You put on the new man. Now, this description here, put on the new man, it's like putting on a coat. It's like putting on clothes. It's purposeful. You do this intentional. When you go to get dressed in the morning, you don't just grab stuff because you may be putting something purple with something green. It may not look right. You know, we, we don't want to do that. We want to put things in there that, that blend, that match. You know, my wife will sometimes come to me and she says, does this, does this look all right? I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a loaded question. But a lot of times what she's asking me is, you know, do the colors look good? Does this color look good with this color over here? And so, you know, I answered on, uh, on that one. Now, don't, don't go asking those questions. You know, does this make me look fat? Does this make me... Don't ask those kind of questions because you don't really want the truth on those things. Ask questions that you want the truth to. And so she asked me those kind of things. I said, yeah, I like the way that that looks together. I said, well, you know, I'd have something, you know, maybe this color instead. You know, I'll sometimes say some of those. Most of the time she puts together good things and I just tell her, yeah, it looks nice. But it's purposeful. You have intention for that. You know, Saturday morning or Saturday night when I get um, ready to go to sleep, one of the things that I do is I go in my closet and I pull out all the things I'm going to wear. I mean, everything that I'm going to wear, pull it all out, put it all into a spot. Because when I get up in the morning, everyone else is asleep. I don't want to be waking them up. I don't want to be turning lights on to see if this, this color goes with this color. I do all that the night before. I lay it all out. All I got to do is grab that thing and put it on. I don't ever, ever, ever change my mind. If I decided to wear it on Saturday night, I still decide to wear it on Sunday morning. Don't ever change my mind. Once I put that on there, that's what I'm wearing. Never have changed my mind. Never was in the shower cleaning up and came out of there and said, you know what, I don't think I want to wear that suit. I think I'm going to wear this one. Nope, don't do it. If I decided on Saturday night that's what I'm going to wear, that's what I intentionally put on. But that's the kind of thing it's, it's doing. Put on the new man. 
Put on the new man. It's a, it's a deliberate thing. You put it on. And it doesn't just fall off. You put it on. Put on the new man, which is, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Understand, you have put on the new man. He is renewed in a new kind of knowledge. Don't be mixing that new man up with the old knowledge. Don't be doing that. It's kind of like, you know, when we lay out our Sunday clothes. For most of us, our Sunday clothes are different from our gardening clothes. Most of us. There are some people that might be the same. But for most of us, if we have certain things that I will put on to go work in the garden or cut the lawn or rake the leaves. Not the things that I usually wear on, on Sunday. Those things we, uh, we not allow. I, I did make an exception for that. There was a time a few, few weeks ago where, you know, we're coming home from church. I'm in the suit. I'm in the shirt. I'm in the tie. And the granddaughter decides that today is a good day to jump in leaves. So I grabbed the rake. My daughter had already grabbed the rake. I can't have her out there doing the, the rake thing. So I grabbed the rake from her. I'm out there in shoes, dress pants, dress shirt, and a tie, raking up leaves. Now, normally I wouldn't do that, but I was very careful. Not a speck of dirt got on my clothes. We were good. And the little girl was able to jump in there and jump in the leaves, and she had a good old time jumping in the leaves and, and having some fun. But generally, we have different clothes for that, right? Well, you have been given new man clothes. Don't be doing things with the new man clothes that you used to do with the old man. So you ought to change your actions. You ought to change what it is that you do. Heard some of these things there at high schools when they had the dances, they would sometimes have a dress code. Because if they made them, the girls and the boys get dressed up, it changed their behavior. It changed their behavior. When we put on the new man, it ought to change our behavior. Different behavior ought to come out. And he says, one of those things is put these things off. Get rid of these things. For you have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, folks, do not be fighting for groups. Don't be fighting for the rights of this. Do not fight for the rights of this. Do not fight for the rights of things that divide people. He says it right here. There is neither Greek nor Jew. Now, generally, if you were in the world that day, you were either Jew or you were Greek. If you were Greek, they expected you to convert to being a Jew. Remember the stuff that went on with Timothy and Titus? Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Now, pretty much everybody who's going to be, all the males are going to be on one side or the other. I mean, either you are circumcised or you are not. You're either going to be barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Going to be one of those kind of things. He says, but quit it. Stop fighting for all these different groups. Stop going after these things. Because understand, when you set your mind, when you set your sights on things above, the things down here are, do not matter. And we've got to get that principle down. Because we've still got too many Christians that are fighting for the things of this world because our minds are not focused on the next. He started off this by saying, set your minds on things above. Set your th sights on the things that are above. That's what we need to do. 
this world has a lot of distractions. And they want to get us to be thinking all kinds of things. They want to put you in groups. And they want to say that the other groups are against you. Mm-hmm. We got in one that they're doing. These folks pay taxes. These people don't pay taxes. These people don't pay enough taxes. These people are paying too much taxes. Which group are you in? Well, I'm in the group that's paying too much taxes. They're in the group that's not paying enough taxes. And we got enough. I mean, how much is that battle going on? If a politician wants to score points, they just say, we're going to tax the rich. Rich are taxed. I've told you the figures before. This come right from the IRS. Top 1% of earners in this country pay 90% of the taxes. That is a lot. To the top 1 or top 5%. I forget which one for the 90%. But it's a, that, that, that top group is paying most of your taxes. It's paying most of the things that, that you're doing. The bottom 50% of uh, wage earners in this country pay zero tax. 50%, bottom 50% pay zero taxes. None. It's out of balance. And what they want to do is they want to say, we're going to tax these guys even more. Well, if you're rich, you got money to move. What happens if all the rich people move out? Ask New York. Because that's what happened to them. They taxed all the rich people and the rich people decided to go to another state. They don't have as many rich people there anymore. So they're getting themselves into some, some financial trouble. But whatever it is, don't let people put you in groups. We are in the body of Christ. We are focused on the things of Christ. We are focused on the things of the kingdom that is to come, not on things that matter to this world. And if we get pulled down into the things that matter to this world, it will affect our spiritual development. It will affect our spiritual growth. It will affect where we go in the world that is to come. Because he has told us very clearly, set your sights on things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. Those two principles. Keep your eyes focused on where Christ is seated in heaven. Because that's where your life is. That's the life that you focus on. Not this one down here. Focus on the one that's up there. If you focus on it, you're going to make it better. If you don't focus on it, it's not going to get better. It's probably going to get worse. Take your mind. Get your mind focused on the things that are above, not the things that are down here. These two principles, if we can learn to do them, if we can learn to practice them, if we can get them into our our way of going, on a regular basis and stop getting all this group focus, stop getting all these uh, causes and all these things that are worldly causes. They might even be good causes, but they're worldly causes. They're not ones that are God's. If we do not get our focus on the things that God says to get our focus on, our life in the next kingdom will be affected. Our place in the next kingdom will be affected. Because Who is God going to give the greatest positions to in the next kingdom? The people who were focused on the next kingdom in this one. That's who gets it. The born again believers who are focused on this kingdom in this one. When God gets to the next kingdom, what's he going to say? I can't trust you with the things of this kingdom. Because I told you to be mindful of this kingdom when you're in the other one. And what did you do? Stay mindful of this kingdom. 
Stop staying mindful of this kingdom and be mindful of the kingdom that is to come. Stop being mindful of this life and be mindful of the life that is to come. Because your life to come is hid in Christ, he taught us. Hid there. He's got it. It's in heaven with him. And it's not making its way over here until he does. So no one can touch it. No one can hurt it. There is no group on this earth who can gather up enough steam to affect your life coming. No one. Because it's hidden in Christ. But he is bringing it. He says, now focus on that. Get your mindset on that and make that life everything that you can. And you will see your life change. You will see your way on this earth change. Things will be different. One of the greatest principles we can do is to practice getting my sights on the things that are above. To get my mind on the things that are above. Practice just like you did with driving. Practice on a regular basis. I might have passengers in the car, but they're not taking my attention. I am focused on what's ahead. Because there is no one driving your life but you. And that's why he said to you, put off the things of the old man. Put them off. Put them to death. Get rid of them. Now put on the new. And when you put on the new, you've got to take off the old. And after you've put on the new, folks, don't go to putting on some of the old stuff. Don't be doing it. If you put on all your Sunday clothes... You don't go out and find those jeans that you had when you were working in the, in the garden and try and put them on over top because the jeans will get your nice clothes dirty. You don't want to be mixing those things. You put on the new man. Now operate like a new man. Walk like a new man. And don't let the world pull you in to those other things. Father, we thank you that our life has hidden you. I thank you, Father, that we are learning to keep our mind set on things that are above. Not to be distracted by this world. Not to be distracted by all the causes. Not to be distracted by all the things that the world says are important. But we're staying with your word. We're staying with the things you told us was important. We're staying focused on the things of your kingdom that is to come. That's where our sights are. Help us, Father, every day to practice this. To keep this in practice. Keep our sights set on the things that are above and to keep our minds set on the things that are above and not to let anyone or anything in this world distract us with worldly things. Our life will change. Even if we are already born again, our life will change drastically if we do what Paul teaches us here. Thank you, Father, for you help us to do this. You don't just tell us, but you help us. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.